This episode is sponsored by Paleo Valley. Paleo Valley's meat sticks have been a lifesaver during this hot summer. Since they're shelf stable, I always have three Paleo Valley meat sticks in my bag at all times. It's also been perfect for my boys' lunch boxes. I love Paleo Valley's grass finished beef sticks and pasture raised turkey sticks because they support US family farmers that focus on regenerative agriculture. These meat sticks are from animals that have never been fed grains, soy, corn, or GMOs and have never been given antibiotics. The spices in these meat sticks are also 100% organic. The sticks come in five different flavors, and my favorite is the original beef stick, and my boys love the teriyaki beef sticks and the original pasture raised turkey stick. Paleo Valley's meat sticks are a perfect snack and, frankly, a great value without skimping on quality. Each stick is about $2 with our discount code, and it comes in a 10 pack bag. Make sure to support this podcast and head over to paleovalley.comslash CATG and use code CATG to get 15% off your first order. Thanks for listening and supporting the Cutting Against the Grain podcast. This episode is sponsored by Carnivore Cure. Carnivore Cure is a book, a work in progress plant database, and in the future, an intense group program. Carnivore Cure is meat based nutrition and the ultimate elimination diet. The Carnivore Cure book helps to break down science and provides a step by step elimination diet protocol. It also provides extensive nutritional information and support for a meat based diet. Carnivore Cure is rooted in evidence based nutrition with over 600 citations and over 250 colored graphics and tables. If you need assurance that a meat based diet is ideal, or if you need more in depth support to guide you, then this book is for you. The colored informationals and nutrition facts will make this book a reference for years to come. Make sure to get your copy on Amazon or at www.carnivorecure.com. Thanks for listening, and let's get back to the show. Laura and I are just going to be talking really candid. This is what this podcast is all about. It's one thing to say, I want to eat something else that's not meat. It's a whole other thing to say, you need to eat something else that's not meat. If you notice that you're Jumping from diet to diet. At a certain point, you have to wonder the only common denominator is me. Get outside, go for a walk, get some vitamin D, breathe some fresh air,、uh, and, and stay happy and healthy and, and take care of yourselves. Let's just have some real talk. <laughs> Welcome to the Cutting Against the Grain podcast. Welcome to the Cutting Against the Grain podcast. My name is Laura Spath, and I am joined by my fabulous co host, Judy Cho. We are excited today. One of the things that Judy and I often talk about is different levers that you can use for breaking a weight loss stall and for healing, whether that's high fat, low fat, lots of protein, different ratios. What we're going to be getting into today are two different levers that you can use, or two different tools you could use to break a weight loss stall. Or、uh, for healing, depending on your context. The first one of those is a protein sparing modified fast. And then we're gonna get into reverse dieting. I personally have heard a lot of people talking about both of these recently. Some of them I'm familiar with, but we're gonna get into it and see、uh, how you can use those potentially to break a stall. So, Judy, what do you think about protein sparing modified fasting? The kind of background of protein sparing modified fasts、um, is that. Um, I guess doctors and hospitals would use this sort of、um, kind of dieting to quickly have people lose weight so that they can do surgeries and just other things. And so that's kind of how 
this um, protein sparing modified fast kind of came into play. And I think then a lot of um, athletes and maybe bodybuilders would kind of use it. And what it really is, um, I know the the terminology is kind of confusing, but there are people in the space like Maria Emmerich, um, Maria and Craig, and then there's also Ted Naiman. I think they're big fans of this. But essentially what they are advocating for is that um, there are days that you are using, you eat your protein macros that you need to be eating, but then you basically limit almost um, zero carbs and then as well as like zero um, fat. So I think from what I understand, it's about 30 grams of fat maybe, and then the rest is your protein. So your and whether it's like a chicken breast you eat with like a little bit of fat or if it's just the protein um, or just the protein and fat macros in chicken breast, essentially you end up eating about 600 to 800 calories in that day. And some people will say to do it for a long time so you can quickly lose weight. I think that's kind of dangerous because if you do that, then your metabolism can slow down. One of the things Ted Naiman talks a lot about is uh, using that as a lever. He wrote the book called The PE Diet. And actually, Chris uses this quite a bit. I've used it sometimes as well. But it's really about leveraging that fat to protein ratio. So if you're trying to lose weight and you have body fat to burn, Ted Naiman's um, kind of mantra is why would you eat fat if you're going to, if you want to burn the fat, there's obviously people who contradict that. Um, but Chris loves doing this thing where he just eats really lean cuts of meat. It's not necessarily, he's not really worrying about the 30 grams. Like you've mentioned, it's just more about eating less fat so that your body burns more of the stored fat that you have. Yeah. And I think where it gets a little bit tricky though, is that for women, um, you need fat for your hormones. So your cholesterol or your cortisol is made from fat. And so is so are your sex hormones. And so if you are eating too little fat, which is part of the reason we are all in this kind of space is because we were eating a following a low fat diet or a no fat diet. And that has just gotten us into trouble with our kind of metabolic health. And so I personally think, um, and I think Maria and Craig even follow this, is that if you want to eat the protein-sparing modified fast, it's not really to do it every day, but it's maybe several times a week. I don't know exactly what they um, advocate for because I don't follow it. I think it. for so- women, it's three days, a, like three days in is a row it? is the most that you want to go, which does make sense because when I have tried doing it in the, in the past, like I've just tried eating low fat or like maybe a New York strip and some chicken breast or something for a few days. After a couple days of it, I just get hungry a lot. And I also start feeling really drained because I'm not really consuming any energy at that point. Yeah. So like two things. So we get our energy either from fat or we get it from glucose. And so if you are not eating carbohydrates, then your body has to break down the protein into um, glycogen and then it gets stored as glycogen. So basically you either have sugar or you have fat as energy sources or fuel. And so if you're eating only protein, That's why then your body has to break down all the protein into energy. And it's very expensive to do that. So your body has to, because you can't store amino acids. And so your body has to do all the mechanisms. And so that's why they say it's great for weight loss. Because for every calorie of food you're eating in terms of protein, maybe you're only storing 50% of it, whereas fat, they say it's between 80 to 90%. So from a caloric deficit perspective, it makes sense. But I don't think anyone should do it long term, or I don't think they should people should do it um, 
in, I guess in a one week period, maybe you only do it two times and I would say alternate it, right? So if you're not willing to do a fast, maybe you can do a protein sparing modified fast and you just eat your amounts of protein that you need for your body, but then you don't have to do like an extended fast. And so that way it's a lever that you can lose weight. Now, I know you said that you don't like doing that. I, I mean, for a day or two is fine, but like for any longer period of time than that, I feel drained. And I think that I do get better benefits just from straight up water fasting. <laughs> but I think for people that are not ready for water fasting yet, um, and if you're eating high fat regularly and you're, you know, consuming a moderate amount of calories, you know, adequate amount of calories, this is a great thing to cycle in once a week and just basically to eat lean for like one day a week. And I do think that would help with weight loss. If you did this over time, I agree with you, it would slow down your metabolism. Um, and I think it would start to kind of just, especially women, make them feel more drained. But if you're eating high fat ribeyes with butter added regularly, bump it down, have a one day that's low. And you're, I think that that's where you don't get these problems from chronic under eating. You're simply just having a lower calorie day or having a really lean day and your body's still going to keep its metabolism burning at that point. So if you're not ready for fasting, I think this is a great thing to just cycle in occasionally. Um, Ted Naiman has this theory that like protein calories don't really count, um, which is I'm sure some people are rolling their eyes hearing that. I don't know if necessarily if I agree with it, but I do know that, you know, for me cycling in this occasionally helps me feel satisfied for a, if it's a day or two only uh, and then does help break a weight loss stall if I'm not mentally feeling like I want to actually water fast. So I'll do the same thing with like lean jerky. I'll make my own homemade jerky. Um, that's pretty lean because it's from like a roast or something. And then I'll just eat nothing but jerky for like a day or two. And that's pretty lean. And I'll notice like a little weight dip uh, after that. Do you get cravings during that time or do you feel satiated? I definitely, the problem is I, you don't really want to eat as much at one time when it's that lean. Cause it's not really that good. Or like if I'm eating jerky or something, you just, you kind of just feel like snacking all day. So I do think I end up eating more often, like my eating window opens up mainly because if you're just eating plain chicken breast, you're probably not going to eat as much in one sitting as it is like a ribeye. And uh, so I would say I don't end up feeling like super full or satisfied, I guess. Yeah, I, um, I so I tried recently um, protein sparing. Well, no, I can't say I really did, but I did try just because I wanted to empathize with my clients. I have clients that don't want to do the extended fasting because um, whether, you know, they had disordered eating in the past, whether they just can't do more than 24 hours of fasting. So the protein sparing modified fast was an option when they were not losing weight after like six months on carnivore, like they had a stall. So, um, so I tried it, I brought, um, I bought chicken breast for the first time in my life. Well, I guess before my pre vegetarian days. Um, so I bought it and I tried eating it. And after one chicken breast, I was like, Oh, my gosh, I cannot do this without any fat. But I mean, it was fine. The taste wasn't too bad, but it wasn't easy to do it. And so I caved and actually um, added some fat to it. But I still my I guess net calories of that day was still less because I still just ate the chicken breast and I just added some fat to it. So it definitely wasn't just 30 grams. But what I noticed is the next day I was hungry. So the next day I was hungry a lot earlier than I ever would have been. And so I ended up eating a ribeye and then I was satiated. But um, that was one thing I noticed. So I think it really depends on you if you can do if you can if you are, I guess, stalling with weight, you can try the protein sparing modified fast. So 
essentially you are eating um, the amount of uh, protein macros that you should be eating. So generally, the rule of thumb is about 0.8 grams to one pound of ideal body weight. So um, or up to one pound um, or one gram for one pound of body weight. And so just to make it really simple, if you are 150 pounds, that's your ideal body weight, then you would be eating about 130 to 150 grams of protein. And I followed that, that the majority, like after I still dealt with my kind of scare with hair loss because I was under eating protein um, when I first started doing keto, that's about what I've been following now for the last year and a half or so, um, where I've had the most health and success, hormone health, was sticking with that 100 and. 50 grams of protein a day and then just leveraging how much fat I'm eating or how often I fast. So I, I have found the success with that as well in health. Yeah. And so I just want to make clear because no matter how many times I explain this, I feel that people, um, it's, it's still confusing because when I say 150 grams, I'm not saying 150 grams of meat. I'm saying 150 grams of protein within a meat. So I think for maybe like a ribeye, that would be two pounds. But obviously, we're not talking about ribeye right now. We're talking about um, like chicken breast. And I don't I think it's like, maybe uh, one and a half pounds. I, I can't remember off the top of my head. But um, you just want to eat enough of that protein. And the whole argument of why like, um, the like Ted Naiman says the protein is that some of your some of a lot of it, you're burning off internally when you're metabolizing it. So that's why, quote unquote, it doesn't count. Um, when you are just using protein for energy, again, it needs to be metabolized. And so the net amount of calories for your body is actually less. And that's why you will lose weight. And then the other thing is, iodine and protein or um, tyrosine are the t- like the two kind of components to make T4 and T3. And so a lot of people will say, well, for your thyroid, you want to just make sure and eat enough protein. And so if you're eating enough protein, even on these protein sparing modified fast days, then you don't have to worry about damaging thyroid health. And so that's another reason why people are more supportive of the protein sparing modified fast versus like fasting. But you know, I I think it's just really important to understand that if you do the PSMF for two days a week, and I think it's smarter to do it on different days, non consecutive so that you trick your body. Um, that on the days, again, you're eating that you eat enough so that you have enough fat, because again, your sex hormones, and your stress hormones rely on fats. Um, And if you do that, maybe then the other two days, you can try the protein sparing modified fast and see if it helps you. I think it also depends on your context. You know, my husband can do this for a a full week and he'll be very successful and he can lose weight. He doesn't have to do a really long water fast. He could drop some weight and lean out. You know, like you mentioned earlier, this is something bodybuilders do to cut right before a show. They keep everything super lean and just kind of live on that protein. Um, For a, a man, it would be easier to do this for a week or two at a time to lean out. Um, But I think like, I think sometimes people get so stuck on like, what should my macros be? And like, what's my fat to protein ratio that I should be eating all the time? When in reality, we're designed to change it up. Like you said, eat high fat for a day or two, then eat low fat for a day or two. And just, I think more than anything, it's important to make sure you're not chronically under eating or chronically overeating. But there's the, that's the beauty in keeping things simple is being able to have some, you know, chicken breast and eggs for a couple of days and then or some, you know, hamburger, which again, even 70, 30 ground beef is very lean. So remember that when you think you're eating high fat Uh, and then have some steaks for a few days and then have a pound, eat a pound of bacon in a day. Like don't get so stuck on tracking macros that you 
feel like a you're trapped in the, that cycle. Yeah, and I agree with that. So I only talk. So I am not a component or a proponent of tracking macros. The only reason I talk about it is because majority of my clients are actually under eating. And so for me, um, especially coming from eating disorders, I don't like the whole tracking, but I think it's really important if you are under eating. So if you track for about a month, then you're able to know in general, if you're under eating, you understand like how much fat you need to add to get to 70% uh, fat in terms of total calories or 80%. And so for me now, like I never track. So I honestly don't know if I'm eating enough protein or fat, but I can tell now. So you know, I track for a very short period. And I know that if I eat like a ribeye and I add one tablespoon of butter, usually that's sufficient. But let's say I didn't, maybe I ate a New York strip and I only added one um, piece of butter instead of two. What the way I'll know is like, all of a sudden, I want to go back to the pantry and I'm like, kind of wanting to munch or I want some cheese by the end of the night. I'm like, oh, I don't feel full enough or satiated enough. And that's when I'm like, Oh, yeah, I need a tomorrow, I need to make sure and pull up the fat lover, because I noticed this desire to snack. And usually it's because for me personally, at least it's just that it's not enough fat. And it's not because I track. No, I feel that too. I can definitely feel a difference in my body. Now, if I'm like under eating, sometimes just for time reasons, I still fall into that one meal a day where I don't have time to eat a second meal. And after a couple of days of doing that, I'm like, oh man, girl, you've not been eating enough. Like I'm getting drained. Or if I'm eating too much in one sitting or too much fat at one time, I'm like, Ooh, run into the bathroom really fast afterwards. So it's like, okay, maybe I just overate the fat for this meal, or I just kind of pounded back way too much um, steak in the sitting. So I can tell as well. And it's nice for me, like every once in a while, I'll just track for a day just to kind of see where I'm at. And more than anything, it's just to make sure that I'm not under eating regularly. Yeah. I mean, when you mentioned that you went from one meal a day and you realized you weren't eating enough and then you moved to two meals a day, like that's when it's good to track just to be honest with yourself. I mean, we can all under eat and lose weight really quickly, but the long-term ramifications are just not worth um, eating lo- um, eating under eating for long term, because again, it'll mess up your metabolism. And then your body will just kind of function at a 1000 calorie rate. And then it's like, if you end up eating one and a half ribeyes, you're going to start gaining weight, right? Like that's just yeah. what or one and a half pounds of ribeyes. And that's just you don't want to be in a place where you just can't eat enough. Because if you do, then you are going to gain weight. And then it just becomes this adverse effect on your hormones, your thyroid and all that. So I mean, I think protein sparing modified fast is fine if you do it maybe one, two days a week, non-consecutive. And again, you're right. Like, I think it is different for men. Um, In general, for my clients, the men can probably consume 65% fat on a general basis and they feel fine. There's some men that need to eat more, but then they'll do the protein sparing modified fast. Or I have some men that don't add any added fats and they may not even eat the full fat on the ribeye and they're totally fine consistently. So it really depends. Yeah, that definitely is more like how Chris is. I think that, you know, this kind of leads into what we're going to talk about next, which is a reverse dieting. But when you, when I switched from doing one meal a day and realized I was under eating to two meals a day, it took a couple weeks of like eating more. And my body was like playing around with the same few pounds, even went up a couple pounds before it started dropping again. Because like you said, I had been under eating for so long when I started actually eating the amount that my body needed. Well, then I started, you know, it was my body wasn't going to lose any weight because of the fact that I I needed to kind of reset my metabolism at that point. So um, 
I think that kind of leads into what we want to talk about next, which actually reverse dieting is new for me. I've heard a couple people talking about it recently. It's not something that I have been familiar with, um, you know, until I've heard it mentioned over the last few weeks. Yeah. And one thing I want to say about both of these or kind of any of these levers are like, first start, try the carnivore diet or a meat-based diet or a keto diet for at least six months without really kind of focusing on these levers or, you know, worrying about weight loss as much. Maybe it's just three months, but at least kind of get a baseline of, okay, how are you with just eating meat? Um, How do you feel? And then if you need to pull levers, then maybe do this. But I wouldn't try to incorporate fasting, incorporate protein sparing, modified fasting, incorporate reverse dieting as soon as you start a meat-based diet. Like right. I think it's too much. Yeah, absolutely. You have to just get used to everything first. And in the beginning, just focus so much on just eating the meat that you enjoy, getting off of the carbs, healing your body, really digging into it. These are things that come later as you're trying to break a stall, you're trying to uh, hack some kind of healing, or you're trying to really dig to the root issue of something or something's not working for you, right? As long as the basic is working, do it. But when things stop working, these are tools that you can use to help. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So let's talk a little bit about reverse dieting. Um, I interviewed Kevin Stock a very long time ago. I can't even, I don't even know, maybe it's been a year. Um, And so he talked about reverse dieting with me. And so that was kind of the first exposure I guess I really had with it. But essentially what this whole reverse dieting is, and I apologize if I don't know the full science, but it's just essentially that if your body, your resting metabolic rate from chronic years of under dieting or um, under eating is like 800 calories or a thousand calories in your body just functions at that level to be at the weight that you are. And then if you eat anything over that, so if you eat a full ribeye, like a pound of ribeye a day, that's over 800 calories, you are probably going to gain weight. Um, So this is where I guess in that sense, the calories kind of do matter. It's not calories in calories out, but still calories still do matter. And so for somebody that's been chronically under eating, and then they start trying to even eat a pound of ribeye, they may gain weight. And it's because their baseline metabolic resting rate is, um, I guess, 800 or, you know, whatever that number is. So when you say that, like to slow, so I guess to explain it to me better, it's just to say like, you've slowed down your metabolism. And so your body's rather than burning efficiently, let's say 2000 calories a day, your body's only burning 800 calories a day, because you've only been feeding it 800 calories. So your body goes, wait, I'm only going to get 800 calories a day, I need to kind of shut myself down. So I'm only burning at this level because I'm not going to get any more food, I guess is kind of the way that I understand it. No, totally. And that that's exactly it. So your body thinks that all it gets every day is about 800 calories. And so anything in excess will be either stored, your body won't utilize it the way that it's supposed to. And so that's why you actually gain weight, even though you're eating far less than what maybe the average carnivore would be eating. And so the whole- maybe sorry, which is also maybe why like people who calorie cut over time, you have to constantly keep cutting more and more and more calories. And you end up with just so few that you're never satisfied. Yeah, that's exactly it. And so that's why this whole kind of when we first diet, when we're younger, it works, right? We cut calories. And it's like, wow, I just lost uh, five pounds. But then as you get older, um, it just doesn't work as easily. And so the whole thought process with reverse dieting is exactly what it sounds like. It's basically eating the opposite. So if your body is only used to eating 800 calories, now let's say you have done the math with like a dietitian, a therapist or whoever it is, and you figured out, okay, I need to actually be eating 1600 calories to be 
sufficient with kind of nourishing my body and all of this stuff. And so if you eat just 16, you're going to gain weight. So then how would you end up losing weight? And so the thought process of this whole reverse dieting is, okay, so if you figured out that you need to eat about 1600 calories a day, then maybe you eat like 2500 calories a day. And then you get to the point where you're metabolism is like, okay, this body is functioning at 2500 calories. Yes, for sure, you're going to be gaining weight. But then you're like, okay, now I'm going to cut. So now at 2500, I flatlined at x weight. And now what I'm going to do is I'm going to start cutting because I definitely don't need to be eating 2500 calories. And so what you do is and this is, it all depends on the coach you're working with. But some people are like, then you cut by like 50 calories a day, maybe 100. And then you know, then maybe the next day you cut even more. And so slowly you basically get your body used to eating at like 1600 calories a day, or maybe it's 18 plus some working out, whatever that math kind of turns out for you. And then you can be at the weight you want to be, but then eating now the amount um, that your metabolism can handle. So does that make sense what the whole reverse dieting is? Yeah, it's funny because I think too, like it sounds like a bodybuilder thing where they bulk and then they cut, where they eat a whole bunch, they lift, they do all this stuff and they're like bulking up where they're on a a bulk and then they go through and they cut again. So it's almost like combining the two. That's Um, exactly what it is. It's, it's, I think this whole, um, because Kevin Stock comes from a bodybuilding. I think he used to do um, competitions where he would get super lean and ripped and, you know, that orangey color that all of them (laughs) get. Uh, So uh, yeah, I, I think maybe he grabbed, I don't even know where, but th- th- he was the first person I heard it from. And so that's where some people, and essentially that's what I've been doing in my practice without even kind of um, thinking about it. But I've been having my clients, you know, add more, like make sure they're eating sufficient protein for their thyroid and then sufficient fat for their hormones. But then it is for sure above the amounts they were eating. I think on average, if I were to just kind of pick a number for most of the women I work with, I think they eat about 11 to 1200 or less calories every day. And so when I get them starting to eat 1800 or 2000, they gain weight and they're not happy about it. Or, you know, again, this is, you know, our discussion about, well, where is their true weight, but let's say the kind of normalized normal weight people, um, they start gaining a little bit, and then they get frustrated. And then so I start saying, well, why don't you have two days of doing the protein sparing modified fast or do two days of fasting or two days of just not adding any fat. So your overall caloric intake is less. But essentially, I'm having them reverse diet. But I think it's the hardest one for people to do because the question always becomes, well, how long do I have to eat in excess? How long do I have to gain weight for? And then when can I cut? And that is an answer that is not, um, I guess, generally for everybody, right? It's very bio-individual. And that's where it gets really hard. Like, would you be comfortable gaining 20 pounds if I said that you can later no. lose weight? No. Right. right. I couldn't. Yeah, I think most people would have a hard time with that. But I know it's done. I think, too, it's been talked about online as like the all-in approach. Or I've heard people talking about that where you really just eat in excess for an amount of time. And that's supposed to help regulate your body as well. But I agree. So do you think, I mean, like you said, it is by individual, but is this something that people have to do for like a couple weeks or is it a couple months or does it depend on too, are there too many factors to determine that? So I asked Kevin Stock the same question. I think I, so I interviewed him twice. One hasn't been released, but the first one, I believe he said it's a few months. Um, so for sure, it's not just a few weeks. Um, and then, and then he also said in order to kind of help slow down your metabolism or not Um, burn the calories, like make sure not to do any cardio during that time. So I think his thing was increase your calories. And maybe if it's too much for you to increase, increase it by like 100 calories a week, 
do not add any cardio during that time so that you're, you know, just basically eating to your heart's content and then just letting yourself kind of gain the weight, um, knowing that it's just temporary and then get yourself to maybe 2,500 calories a day or whatever that amount is for you that's in excess. And then when you decide, okay, I'm going to start cutting to do it again in a very slow fashion of maybe 100 calories a day, and then you can add the cardio, but also do some strength training so that your muscles are also building or growing and muscles also burn um, calories. So it's like, basically, that's why they say, you know, you should build your lean body mass so that when you're sleeping, you're burning more calories than someone that has less muscles or less lean body mass than you. That makes sense. And also, this is, you know, like we mentioned, this is going to be a useful tool for people who are stalled and are likely under eating when you're checking and when you're tracking, you're coming from somebody who's under eating. When I was at my heaviest coming from a standard American diet, coming to carnivore, I had no problems eating too many calories. Like that wasn't my issue. So I was, I could definitely use something different at that time. So I think depends on where you are in your journey, if this would be a good tool for you or not. Yeah, I think for people, especially women that have been under eating their whole life, where literally for every single client of mine, I make them tell me what they were eating. So if they're carnivore already, we just go through, okay, what are your macros while you're eating carnivore? And most people fall around 1100. And I'm always telling them that it's too little calories. And then um, and then if they're not eating carnivore, then we'll talk about like what keto macros they're eating or what keto calories. But in general, if you have been under eating um, like 1200 calories, I bet you that that's where I fell right into the carnivore space. And then when I started eating two pounds, I started gaining weight because probably for me, I was under eating for like 12 years of my plant based diet. So this is where that tool may be helpful. It is really hard to increase your metabolism if you maybe don't use reverse dieting. I mean, you could work out. But again, if your body is functioning at like a 1000 calorie metabolism rested, uh, without any working out, then I mean, are you going to work out an hour a day to, you know, balance that. But it's just, again, you need enough nourishment to, to kind of support the rest of the body. So do you think this, maybe this has nothing to do with it, I guess, but do you think this is why the MCT powder thing has been popular lately? Because it's all of a sudden adding an extra thousand calories or whatever to people's diets. And then maybe that was just extra calories they needed in the first place. Or do you think that's just unrelated? Um, so the thing about MCTs, um, one of the things is that the median chain triglycerides is supposed to, and there are studies that show that it does increase your metabolism. But from a caloric perspective, that's the part that's a little tricky. Um, I know that some people said that they consumed a lot more of the MCTs and they still lost weight compared to if they were eating less calories without MCTs. That part, I don't know enough about the science. I just know that MCTs in general will kind of spike up your metabolism for a little bit. But I don't know if it would offset enough of the thousand calories. Does that make sense? Yeah, like that sure. to me doesn't make sense. Yeah. With that new ex challenger experiment that's been going around lately, we did hear stories of people who'd lost weight, but I also heard stories of people who just gained weight doing it. Um, and so who knows, like, again, there's a lot of different levers and things you can use. I think also too, this isn't what we were supposed to talk about, but I also think too, one of the things with that type of challenge is that. Any type of challenge that you're doing makes me personally get more strict with everything and focus on everything. So I think some people who were maybe like a little out of whack or a little off track use that as a challenge to like get themselves back on track. So totally. a little bit of science, a little bit of extra discipline, a little bit of motivation, maybe all those things are combined, which is why it worked for some people and didn't work for others. So yeah, so I had some clients that saw the challenge and then asked me in the next session, hey, can I use MCT instead of butter? And so I said, 
There are risks with using MCT, um, but it is true that it can spike your metabolism. I don't know what that amount is. It might be just five calories. It might be 50 calories. Who knows? But I said, if you want to do one less tablespoon of butter or some kind of animal fat and you want to use a little bit of MCT, I'm supportive of that. If you want to do that, maybe just I don't think you should do the amounts that were being recommended. And um, I know the people recommending it were saying it's very bio individual, too. But um, if you do use it, maybe one to two tablespoons. And I think it would be probably smarter to remove some of the fats that you've been adding while you're adding the MCT so that you're not eating this surplus of calories. Um, the only danger with the MCTs is that if you think of natural foods, coconut of that, the MCTs is maybe like 10% of a full coconut's fat. And then of that, of the MCTs then, there are like C8, C10, C12, there's like different molecules. And then so the C8 version is um, even a smaller percent of that 10% and a smaller percent of the full MCT. So all you need to understand is really that the C8 is a very, very small amount of any amount of uh, coconut oil you'll get. But what they're doing with these extractions is that they're pulling just the C8, which is caprylic acid. And the part that I am hesitant with my clients, and I've told them to, for every single person that wanted to try this kind of um, experiment, is that your caprylic acid is known to kill candida. So it's known to kill any fungal yeast overgrowth in your body. And so if you're taking that just because you don't have candida, but you just want to do it for weight loss, the concern is, well, if we know that this is antibacterial, antifungal, well, what else can it be killing in your body if you're eating it in excess? And so that was only my concern about taking too much of that. And it's also not in its natural form. So just like how we process canola oils and all that, um, basically your MCT oils, all of it is going to be processed in a very similar fashion. And so I think it's so new, but the question is, are these oils oxidized, right? And even if you get in a powder form, I'm sorry, but they are even more oxid or more processed than even the oil variety. So right. that's kind of my concern of that. If you want to do one, two tablespoons, I have no heartburn over that. But just know that there are ramifications with taking excess caprylic acid, which is the C8 version. And that's where, I mean, I'm not going to lie. Like you lost me for part of that, which is why this is why we're, the, I think this is the hard part for me to understand is like when we dig into that type of stuff, like what's the benefits, what's the risk and kind of like breaking it down for somebody like me who really doesn't know those types of things. I think with all of these levers and all of these challenges and all these experiments, it all comes down to if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Like if things are working for you, just keep doing what you're doing. If you're healthy and all those things are great. If you are, and, why even obsess about tracking if everything is going well for you? If you're stuck, I, I personally think the place to start is just to simply track to get an understanding of where are you. Are you eating 2,200 calories a day or are you eating 1,100 calories a day? And once you see truly a good picture over the course of a week, how many calories you're likely eating per day, then you're going to know more which lever is it to pull. Do you need to cut back for a day or two with protein, sparing modified fast? Do you need to maybe do a reverse dieting for a period of time or even try something else like we mentioned? So that's kind of where I I get a little like overwhelmed with all the choices. And I think some people just get confused about, well, all these different tools are out there. Like, what am I supposed to do? We can't really give you an answer on that. Yeah, I think it really depends on your situation, right? So for some people, like we were talking about the protein sparing modified fast doesn't work and fasting works better. I we just need to know at the end of the day, it's patience. Um, 
these MCT oils, I mean, they can maybe help a little bit increase your metabolism. It's just like ice cold water also increases your metabolism. So does green tea. So does sleeping enough, right? All of these things, but they're just smaller levers. And the real thing is that we need to give it time and patience and figure out, okay, have I been eating enough? Um, maybe a fast here and there may help with the um, supporting the metabolism or weight loss, maybe protein sparing might have fast, maybe the reverse dieting. But for, you know, just the one of the arguments I made about MCT is that, hey, look, if it was that beneficial, I mean, it's not a new drug out there. It's not a new oil. Keto people have been using it all the time. And why do keto people come to a carnivore diet? It's because they've had a stall. So if you talk to most keto folks, they've been using the MCT oil. So it may be a slight lever, but it's definitely not an end all answer. And that's where I think we have to always remember healing takes time, weight loss takes time, right? There's that kind of thought process of, I, I don't know exactly what it is. I think it's like two pounds a week of weight loss is healthy. I don't know what that number is exactly, but it's just weight loss takes time to lose. And it's just, if you want a quick fix in a month, it's just not realistic versus, you know, you've been sick for decades and just healing takes time too. I know we're going to talk all about patience in a different episode, but like, to, I'm that is hard to hear that and to know that. Like, I am not a patient person when it comes to weight loss, and only being able to lose two pounds in a week when you feel like you have so much to lose is really frustrating and it's hard uh, to get there. So, I know we'll get into that uh, at another time as well, but I do think that, you know, not obsessing about finding the right method. Cause not only is there one specific lever or tool or exact method for everybody, there's also not one exact method for you, your entire journey. Like things have changed for me over the last three years tremendously. Um, and it's, it's really depends on like where I'm at and where I'm healing and what's happening with my body at the time. So you kind of have to be it's okay to change. It's great to change. It's okay to use these different tools at different times. Maybe even different times of the month, you're using different tools or different parts of the week. I usually fast, like do a full water fast on Mondays because I tend to eat a lot on Saturdays and Sundays. And by the end of the week, I'm eating more, a more. So like, there's definitely not, I'm not eating the same macros and ratios every single day. Um, I kind of have to be able to adapt based on what's going on in my life and my body. Yeah. And I tell that to my clients all the time. I mean, I tell them, don't worry about hitting the macros every single day. I mean, there are days we are more tired than other days when even though we had the same amount of sleep and just like that, some days we um, are exercising and we burn a lot more calories. We're a lot more stressed. And so therefore we may need more calories. And that's where it honestly becomes better to just kind of listen and be more intuitive with your eating um, and just kind of go with that rather than just tracking all the time. But if you are honestly under eating, that's where I think the macros will be helpful. Um, and and also if maybe you're not feeling your 100%, it's just figuring out what works for you. And the thing, unfortunately, the thing I see the most online, being somebody that kind of gives guidance to people, people want to always know, but how much is it? Like, how much meat do I need to eat? Like, um, I, I get it all the time, whether it's emails, direct messages, it's, okay, Judy, I weigh this, here's my condition. Tell me how much I need to eat? How much fat do I need to add? And I always tell them, it depends on this, this and this. And people just want an answer, like a easy, 
um, give me the 21 day plan or give me, and it's just, but that's the hard part is that there's a lot of people that will give you an answer when they don't know your context. They're just going to tell you that this approach is correct, or these are your macros, or this is how you need to fix it. Or this is the thing to do. That's going to help when they really don't know your context at all, or they don't even know what's going to work for everybody. Totally. And that's where, yeah, that's my heartburn with all of that. But, and that's why, I mean, even for us, right. So like you can do these extended fasts once a week and totally be fine. So you do like a 48 hour fast. And I tried that. I tried that for maybe a month and I noticed slowly that my 48 hour fast would kind of trigger me to overeat. And so I know, you know, you didn't have the whole binge purge, um, total eating disorder, restrictive um, history that I have. And so for me, maybe that doesn't work, right? So but like, maybe I could try the protein sparing modify fast, or for me, like I like to exercise. So the the three days a week of exercising has helped me tremendously. Um, And I, I don't do a ton because I'm being mindful of my adrenals. But that has helped me better than doing an extended fast, which actually works for you. And we are just two people and our you know, solutions for now is even different. And so that's why you write. And so for people to say, Oh, everyone should do this. Everyone should do that. It's um, if someone makes a claim that seems too good to be true, I usually think it is. Yeah, for sure. But I do think it's, it's good to know what your options are as far as helping break a stall, break a plateau, um, fix some healing, and there's different things that are going to work. So hopefully a couple of the things that we went through today will be helpful um, I know that they're being talked about more recently. If you wanted to dig in more, there's, we mentioned several names of people that you could dig into to find the official information on protein sparing modified fasts or on reverse dieting. There's lots of people out there who really stick to this, uh, are the experts in this specific topic, um, and lots more information that you can research and dig into. And we'll link to those in the show notes. Um, And obviously, another big one that we didn't really talk about in this episode is fasting. And we will have a separate episode on fasting. So um, that is obviously a very healing. And I mean, it could just support your metabolism as well as there is science that shows that extended fast can increase your metabolism. And it, I mean, all the autophagy benefits are very real too. That's been one that's completely made the biggest difference for me personally. So we definitely need a, one whole episode just for fasting alone. Yeah, we'll, we'll do that one for sure. Cool. Thanks so much for tuning into this episode of Cutting Against the Grain podcast. If you liked this episode, please share with your friends, tag us, and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. That helps us to continue to spread this message. We hope you guys have a great day. We'll talk to you guys next week. And don't forget to cut against the grain. Thanks for tuning in to the Cutting Against the Grain podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please make sure to share and leave us a review and leave any comments and questions on Apple Podcasts. We will read and answer your questions and comments on an upcoming podcast episode. This also helps us to share our real talk with more community members. You can also find me on my other podcast, Nutrition with Judy, on all podcast channels. You can also follow my content on Nutrition with Judy's Instagram, YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter. You can find Carnivore Cure in paperback, ebook, and audio on Amazon. I also have a blog post and weekly newsletter with nutrition and wellness updates. You can sign up at nutritionwithjudy.com. You can find Laura on Instagram at Laura East Bath. You can follow along on her daily stories and see some of her funny skits. 
You can also find Laura on her YouTube channel where she shares tips on living a meat-based lifestyle. If you're wondering how much meat to eat in a day, week, or month, Laura has you covered. She also shares how to make a perfect sear on a steak and how extended fasting looks like in real life. You can find her YouTube channel by searching Laura's Bath. Thanks again for listening to the Cutting Against the Grain podcast. And remember, make sure to cut against the grain. Cut against the grain.